0: Evolutionary.org called by episode 551. Today, we're going to talk about joint support and joint health. Do you want to live long? Do you want to keep weight training long term? Yeah. So this is something that um, I think I think in this situation, you know, a lot of you who are young, you've gotten into this mode and Mobster and I have both been through this too, where I can remember as a kid, I'd be playing outside, I'd hurt my knee, I'd some scrapes, I'd get, I'd, you know, rip my entire kneecap off, you know, from, from falling off my bike or it twists an ankle or something. And then like, literally like two days later, I was back, back to normal. It was just amazing how fast you heal when you're a kid yeah. growing up. And then when you get into high school, you start weight training, same thing. You don't even know what an injury is. You haven't had any wear and tear yet. Then, then you start getting into your twenties and you start getting injuries. And then you're like, well, You know, I'm not going to take a break from the injuries. I'm just going to keep grinding. And then, you know, it takes a little longer to heal, but it eventually heals, even though you're grinding away. But then you get into your 30s and especially your mid 30s and things start changing. Those little injuries that you used to be able to grind through, then they stop going away. They become nagging injuries. They become chronic injuries. They become like, oh my God, I can't take this anymore. I got to go to the doctor injuries. I got to go see an ortho doc injury. I got to go get an MRI injury. And it gets worse and worse, especially as you get older. So you just don't heal like that you used to. And that's why you see in the NFL running backs, how many running backs are over 28 or 29 years old and they're still starting and still successful and still in their peak years. It's very rare that happens. In fact, over the past three years in the NFL, there's probably only been one or two starting running backs in the NFL that have been over 30 years old. So your body really starts breaking down if you're taking if you're wear putting wear and tear on it throughout high school, college, and then the pros, and you're pounding the crap out of it, and you're getting pounded into the, into the ground, and everything's getting pounded. Then you're not you're not going to last very long. So that's why it happens. So, um, and it happens with. With In in weight training, too, because weight training, you remember, when we weight train, we are causing a lot of compression, compression of the spine, compression of the joints, a lot of micro tears, a lot of small injuries will pop up and inflammation will be sent out by the body to fix the inflammation. Uh, I'm sorry, the inflammation will be sent out to fix those little injuries. And then what happens is those little injuries, as you keep pounding, they become bigger and bigger and bigger, and your body starts putting out more and more inflammation. So it gets to the point where you get a chronic tendinitis or any type of ligament inflammation, and it becomes really, really nasty to weight train. So this is a pattern that we see, and it's going to happen to you. If you're listening to this and you're 20 years old, listening to this and if you're 25, 30, 35, whatever, it's going to eventually happen to you. If you keep grinding away. So really in this podcast, we're going to go over all this stuff and kind of show you some of our strategies that we learned over the years to stay healthy. So we're not having to take lengthy time away from the gym because that's what's going to end up happening. You're going to end up getting an injury. It's going to get so bad that you're like, I can't take this anymore. I have to finally stop. your body will force you to get benched you know, because you don't want to bench yourself or your body will eventually force you to be benched. So we want to show you how to stay healthy long-term so you can keep doing this long-term and be happy and enjoy weight training and not be in a situation where you're like, man, I can't go weight
1: train; I'm in too much pain. Go ahead, Monster. Yeah, I mean, one of the things Steve said earlier on is about this inflammation. One of the problems, Steve, is that because we're not giving ourselves a break, we are constantly inflamed. There's constant inflammation around the joint, around the knee, around the elbow, wherever. So you've got that. And something else, and I've touched on this in previous podcasts, is that I've taken my body to a degree in terms of, say, for example, bench press or some of my grip lifts that I've done in competitions, where arguably I'm world class. Uh, In some of my my gym lists, I'm in the top 5%. A few of them, I'm in the top 1%. So what am I asking for myself and my body is I'm asking something of me physically that 99% of the other gym users haven't done or, or will never do. And in terms of my grip strength, I've taken myself to world records, British records, European records, which means I'm only like the only person in the nation or the only person in Europe or the only person in the world who's done that particular feat and strength, that particular thing at that time. All right. So the, the risk of injury, the risk of joint wear, the risk of tendon issues is incredibly high when I'm doing that. I literally have to say to myself, if I fuck up, I fuck up. The problem with that, guys, is I'm doing it maybe once a year in a competition. If you're doing stuff that is inflaming you, is is causing inflammation, is causing soreness, and especially as we're talking about today here, Steve, around the connective tissue, the tendons, the sinews, and specifically the joint, and you're doing that every damn time you go to the gym, or especially every damn time you, you work a certain exercise, let's say triceps with elbow soreness, you're never giving yourself your body a break, at least with my grip thing. I'm only doing it once or twice a year when I was competing regularly. But even then, my, my, my downtime is still going to be at a level that's going to cause me problems. So the reality of the situation is we take our joint health for granted when we're younger, Steve, but we really start to respect the simple fact that we should have looked after it uh, when we were younger, and we do that only, unfortunately, when we get older. So it's one of those listen to the old guys, listen to the guys that have been there before you and take it from us. This is a sort of podcast where we, it's like an insurance policy, Steve. I don't want you guys to have to cash in on your insurance. I'm trying to give you the advice. Now, Steve and I together that will help you so that long-term you don't have that problem. You don't need to learn the hard way that you should have looked after your joints. Back to you, Steve.
0: Yeah. So we got some different pointers. So let's start off with supplements uh, that you should be taking. So, Part of supplements, too, is nutrition. And I'm going to link those because it's very, very important in this. Um, so first off, you you know, a lot of things in your diet that are inflammatory, you have to kind of take a look at it. Um, processed foods. Now, a lot of people don't understand this. Uh, pro- how bad processed foods are for your joints and for your ligaments and for your tendons and for your body in general. But one of the reasons they're so bad for you, and this is why I teach a lot of the younger guys who are victims of marketing in that they want to go and eat at Chipotle and they want to go eat at Chick-fil-A and they want to go eat. McDonald's has kind of fallen in a favor in America and Burger King too. Like a lot of people are kind of bored with them. But some of the the more newer, hipper fast food joints market themselves subway also market themselves oh this is healthy and it's not and the reason it's not healthy is because the food is processed and or the food is made in refined oils and really it's criminal that these companies are allowed to cook their foods like this and um It really is. I mean, if I had the control, I would ban these refined oils. In fact, in a lot of European countries, Mobster, you guys don't even allow things like high fructose corn syrup in your foods and these refined oils in your food. So refined oils are basically just junk. It's basically the oils were heated. They're basically junk and they're basically getting thrown out in the trash. And then they take that and they put it in our foods. Now, these refined oils, these are extremely bad fats. These are extremely toxic fats they go in your body, they cause a lot of inflammation. When you get a lot of inflammation in your body that's unnatural, then you start getting more injuries. That opens you up to more injuries. So all that fast food you guys are eating, you IFYM guys out there who think that it's okay, I'm counting my calories, I'm counting my macros, so I can have this garbage fast food, you're doing yourself a huge disservice for that reason. You're actually making it more likely that you get injured significantly more, more likely. So instead we want to focus on the good fats, the good fats in our diet, the raw nuts, the, 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 the humane friendly eggs, which are full of good fats, the avocado g- full of good fats. You want to stick to the good, good fat, good fats off of um, meat bone broth. You want something that's, that's hearty and that has a lot of good fat in it and collagen and all that good stuff that will repair your body properly Go for bone broth. If you've never tried bone broth before, go to a health food store. Ask them, where do you keep your bones for bone broth? They'll point to you where it is. And when you go there, you'll notice that they have a whole section for it. And a lot of that, and people go in there and they buy that like crazy because a lot of these people are like, they listen to people, they listen to Steve and they started actually drinking bone broth on a regular basis. And they've noticed miraculous changes to their physical health, to their joints and all this other stuff. And it will help you build more muscle and lose more fat, uh, body fat at the same time, because it's so nutritious for you. It's the most healthy protein option in existence. And in fact, humans for 2.5 million years evolved consuming bone broth. That basically, as humans were first started, you know, um, being nomads and traveling the earth, we would come across bones from tigers and lions and and all kinds of uh, big animals that have either died or had made a kill and left the bones. And the bones, we took the bones and we put them in pots and we cooked them. This was after we discovered fire and we were able to actually do this. But even before we discovered fire, we would take the bones and cut the bones open with tools, primitive tools, and eat the collagen from the inside. So that's what you want to do. Take the bones, put them in in a uh, in a slow cooker, for like 48 hours, 24 to 48 hours. Slow cook that sucker, make some nice collagen, and consume that collagen. Make sure the the uh, you use, either use water to cook it or plain broth as a as a base, and then you add the bones and you go ahead and slow cook it. So those are great options. And then there's supplements that are out there that you can take, and I'll let Mobster kind of touch on them that yeah.
1: are a good fat option. Uh, there's, a, there's an obvious one here, Steve, which would be a very good fish oil, as as we know. And fish oil, uh, acryl oil is one that you and I have recommended in the past, which is not just uh, great for uh, connective tissue and uh, joint health, but also very, very good if it's high in DPA and DHA for your eye health. And that especially applies as you get older. Uh, in terms of uh, something else, Steve, when talk, Steve talks about the the, the Stuff that's inside the bone, that's specifically bone marrow, even just boiling the bones and making a broth, it includes some of the uh, connective tissue and the fascia that sometimes lines the bone and and that's going to be boiled down and part of the bone broth in and of itself. There's a natural thing over here, Steve, a couple of years ago when they were well they did the dry age steak was a bit of a thing for some of the posher restaurants, and they actually started serving up a starter of bone marrow. With a special fork and a bone and you would have that before they brought out your 90 day aged or 120 day aged uh, steak and that was a thing for a little while and um, this is a thing it's one of those bizarre situations that bone broth soup if you like and the and marrow was and like the awful you know i've talked about with when we talk about organ meat it's actually been for many many years considered to be cheap and something only poor people did and yet the benefits for the health as we know are incredibly high and it actually become a thing that was served in ex- incredibly expensive and very posh restaurants as a particular treat or a rarity. So it's it's come full circle in that particular regard. But the reality of it is, guys, it's one of the few times when it comes to food, for example, Steve mentioned nuts, avocados, with, with another one, where the healthy oils in, indirectly lubricate the joint, but they also have the thing, like Steve always said, with regards to lowering of inflammation and so on and so forth. Something in terms of the actual ingredients that you should be looking for in any joint product, I've got a small list here, Steve. I'm sure there's others you can jump in. Collagen, that Steve's already mentioned, that's actually also good as as a, uh, taken orally for your suppleness of your skin. Chondroitin, glucosamine, and glucosamine sulfate specifically. And I'll get into dosages briefly. Cis, and I don't even, I think quadrilitis, I think is the se- second part of that name, shorten the fish rolls that I've already mentioned, vitamin D and calcium. Now, one of the things I will say, and I'm not going to talk about all the doses specifically now because I haven't got them in front of me, but make sure that you look up, and I've mentioned this in a previous podcast as well, the difference between the dose that is in the product that you're looking at and the actual effective dose. And the one example I give, because i talked about this and I know it, is... Uh, Glucosamine sulfate. Now, the others will have their own specific doses, and you need to look those up for yourselves. But in case of glucosamine sulfate, any product you take, all of the studies, all of the studies that found positives from the use of glucosamine sulfate, for example, pain reduction, as Steve said, just from the inflammation being lessened, the joint actually showing signs of better health, and so on and so forth. Every single study that supported its use in those regards with the positives, was looking at 1,500 milligrams, 1,500 milligrams per day. There is an enormous amount of joint products out there, cheap ones and some expensive ones, Steve, I can think of a few, where the doses that they recommend is not at the effective amount. It's not at the optimal amount. Now, of course, as Steve's already said, you will get some from your diet. You will be, whether you're having an example, there is vegan versions, but Glucosamine sulphate is typically found in shellfish. So you should need to have fish and shellfish in your diet on occasion. And of course, if they're in your diet, you're going to get some benefit from the diet itself. But equally, it's one of those things, like Steve said earlier on, diets in the the first world, and I'm including Europe, UK, America, etc., we are getting kind of poorer in that particular regards. And so therefore, supplements tend to have more of a place than they should do, simply because we're not getting as much nutrition, healthy Nutrition from our diet as we ought to, from those nuts, from those fruits that we've already talked about, and from obviously products like uh, uh, bone broth. So then joint products of the kind that we're recommending become useful. And again, you need to make sure that you're having the effective dose, for example, whether it's vitamin D, whether it's cystic and so on and so forth. A sound product, a good product, has a combination of more than one of these ingredients that I've just mentioned. So that's super, super, super important. Something else, right guys I want to touch on training now, Steve And maybe we can go back and forth on the supplements as
0: well Well, let us let me just uh, remind people With supplements Always make sure you're getting a a reputable brand Because the FDA only checks 5% of supplements out there in the United States I don't know how it is in England But um, A lot of of these supplement companies They'll put in They'll spike products They'll do all kinds of stuff that they shouldn't be doing so you want to make sure you get a reputable joint support formula, read the ingredients, make sure it's got, just because something is $10 and another product is $50, doesn't necessarily mean the $50 one is better than the $10 one or vice versa. Um, you got to read what's in it and you got to trust the brand. Also don't fall victim to these collagen supplements, powders that I see out there. Cause that's like the new thing now. And everyone's too lazy to actually purchase a, a you know, a slow cooker and make their own bone broth. Everyone wants the easy way out. They want to just mix a powder in some water and, and drink that for collagen. It's just not the same. And now they're doing collagen and bone broth in, you know, you can buy it already made for you. Again, just not the same. All right. You need the authentic bone broth freshly made at home. You buy it in a jar, or you buy it in a cardboard box at the store. It's not going to be the same. The nutrition is gone from it. You know, so, you know, you have to just bite the bullet on this and invest some time into your health and not take it the easy way out. Ironically, if you do consume these bone broths that are pre-made or the bone broth or these collagen supplements or whatever, you're actually doing more harm than good because they add a lot of fillers and additives to it, which ironically make your joints worse. So a lot of you out there who have tried bone broth, you're like, Steve, you don't know what you're talking about. I've tried bone broth. It doesn't work. No, you haven't actually tried real bone broth. So try real bone broth and then and then get back to me on that one. It is extremely rich in nutrition, and it will definitely help. All right, mobster, continue on. Yeah, next topic.
1: Yeah, so here's the thing, guys, and we see this a lot, right? And and again, I think Steve and I have probably been good with this in the past, and it's the reason why we know from personal experience how it could be an issue for other people. And then when we see the other people, we're like, oh, okay. So here's what happens. And we had one just like this last week, Steve. So uh, a, a member comes on the forum. He's hitting training hard. And he says, uh, as a result of one part of his training, his elbow constantly aches. Now, it's probably something like tricep dips or press downs or overhead tricep extension or something like this. And every time he trains his arms, every time he hits bench, every time he does these exercises, his elbow is sore. What can I take to reduce a soreness? Now, we've just touched on food and supplements. And to a lesser degree, some parts of lifestyle outside the gym. But here's the problem, guys. If you are literally doing something every single time you hit the gym, say, for example, training arms, and every single time you hit arms, in this case, let's say triceps, you are sore, then the obvious thing to do is stop doing the fucking thing that's hurting you. I mean, I'm stating the bleeding obvious here, but guys tend to look for a cure rather than a fix and the fix is to not do that very f- for example guys I mean I'm I'm a great one for talking about getting the absolute most you can have a training program. I'm not a one for changing my training week on week. I see I just just wrote something the other day on one of the forms Steve about someone suggesting that they needed for newbies to train change training every two weeks. That's bullshit. But equally if the if I'm doing a 16 or 20 week program, which is the kind of stuff that I would do and a single exercise is causing me pain for the whole damn 16 weeks, then why am I doing that single exercise for 16 weeks? Why? There are, for example, I've got Bill Pearl's keys in a university, Steve. There are thousands, if not certainly hundreds of exercises for each and every body part. So if one exercise is causing me pain, do something else. That's an obvious thing. Something that Steve and I have done in in the show notes is to deload. I do not pound At a certain particular level, let's use bench press as an example. See, I am not hitting 170, 180 kilos, 360, 370, 380, 390, 400 pounds all year round. I back off. I will try to hit certain peaks. There are certain things that I'm trying to increase up to what would be a personal record, a a PB. Uh, uh, But again, I'm still not hitting that particular exercise, that particular movement all year round to the point where it's causing me pain and discomfort. So I won't necessarily call what I do deloading, but I'm certainly easing back off, or I switch out one exercise on another exercise. And I do that quite frequently, actually. As an example, Steve, um, I do weekly one shoulder workout, but I do one, the alternate between two. So one week is one, one week is another, which means I'm not constantly hitting presses, for example. Uh, back exercises, when I, which I train on chest day, Every time I go to the local gym and hit back, it's nearly always one of five, six, seven, eight exercises. But it's only once, which means it's taking eight weeks to come around and do that same exercise again. That means I'm getting a lot more out of that without causing myself problems around, I say, for example, rear of the shoulder in forearms, rear elbow again, just from pulling stuff at the same time as I'm benching and so on and so forth. So I'm not constantly smashing a joint or an issue to cause problems and... Again, like Steve says, we've had to learn this the hard way. It's a kind of – I think men are way more guilty of this than anything else, Steve. If you and I went to the gym – and actually, let me give you a great example here, guys. Buddies of mine training with us in the Strongman Gym in Gloucester back in the day, 2010, uh, two guys were training together over in the corner, and at some point they come over and they both had a right shoulder injury, both of them. So I said, guys, whatever the fuck you two are doing – you're both doing exactly the same thing. You're both having the same issue. You're both causing the problem. And you come over to ask for advice and to fix it. To, and obviously, show us what the hell it is you two guys are doing for that shoulder that's causing that problem in exactly the same place that you two have got into a bad habit or something like that. And and stop the fuck, stop fucking doing it. And that sometimes things like, it seems like something we need to tell people. We get it. You want a bigger arm. You want a bigger chest. You want bigger quads. You want better-looking quads, and so you're doing a particular exercise that hits, for example, the outer quad. But if it's tearing up your knee, choose a different exercise. Change the emphasis a little bit. Change foot position. One of the things that I do, and I think I said this to Stephen a pre-show again, as the heavier weights on my presses and the heavier weights on my bench, whether that's dumbbell, barbell, machine, or whatever, and that's for both those exercises, on the top, top weights, which, as I said, can be considerable, I wear elbow sleeves. I wish I had something I could put on my shoulder. That's where the frozen shoulder problems. And, again, that's come from benching and overhead pressing, Steve. But I I, I got to this thing where I wear them every workout that when I'm up at my top, top, heavy, heavy weights. I don't wear them on warm-ups. I don't. I, I make sure that I warm up. That's something else that we want to talk about, and so on yeah. and so forth. So all of these things came from, and we know this, guys, Steve, Steve, and I both know this, buddies of ours that never warmed up, you should always warm up. Buddies that don't stretch. You should always do some sort of mobility work, especially around their joints. Buddies that don't wear, for example, wrist wraps or uh, elbow sleeves or knee sleeves or some sort of back support. And again, I would rather you use them minimally. So, for example, you have core strength from wearing a belt. You don't wear your belt all the time. But when you're doing those 1% one rep maxes, when you're up there in the kind of weights that are super stressing in your body, That's when his supports come in. What do they also do, Steve? Such supports, and there's two kinds really. One is the neoprene kind, which I think, unless they're super tight, they're great for keeping the joint warm. You can also look at liniments. And the other kind, which is the kind that I use, which is the sort of uh, the same as you see in the stretchy fabric that you wrap your knees in. And that is the support type, which are going to give you a little bit more of a push on the super heavy weights. And at the same time, they're keeping that joint tight, they're keeping everything in the right place it's difficult with some of those to move out of the groove and into different positions. So stuff like that. And, And like I said, let's think of examples in exercise. And again, I can get Steve jumping back in here, where we've seen guys using really, really poor form on certain exercises just to move the weight from A to B. When, as I said, there's loads of stories, I've seen him here in the UK, Steve, where guys would come into the gym from a cold outside, literally jump on the bench, still with their coats on, still with their outside warm coat on, and start bench pressing with... Three plates aside, because that's what they've always been able to do until the one day they get a pex there. And again, uh, we've seen online, guys, because you can see these videos now, people with quad injuries, six, seven, eight plates coming down, and they're in the hole, and then both knees have gone. Literally both knees are gone. And it's because they've overloaded, they come out of the groove, they're not properly supported, the spotters were rubbish, and all these kind of things. And we see these injuries occur. We get guys coming onto the forum, they're asking these kind of questions, and you go, listen, Sometimes it takes people that are sitting to one side like us on the forums go, it's obvious that you're not warming up. It's obvious you're not using supports. It's obvious that you shouldn't keep doing that single exercise. How often do we see it, Steve? Look,
0: at the end of the day, I'll tell you this. As someone who's done it all different ways, going heavy, if I could go back, I would tell myself, don't go heavy. Um, If you're in a mobster situation and you're a power lifter, and you have to do one rep maxes on competition day. Look, I've been there, done that. I get it. But at the end of the day, you got guys on the forum like JP. He's been around a long time. He looks fantastic. And guess what? JP is stronger than me, even though he never lifted a weight in his life. You know why he's stronger than me? Because I blew out my shoulder uh, about eight years ago. So <laughs> you know, and I can't, I can't bench heavy anymore. I was benching over 400 back then. I was doing 300s for reps, three plates for reps. And now I can't even bench heavy anymore. So it's a tortoise versus the hare situation of I blew out my shoulder. If I do lift heavy again, I run the risk of tearing my shoulder completely and needing surgery, which I don't want to do. So that's a perfect example of you don't have to lift heavy if you want to conserve your body don't lift heavy, lift smart, lift with control and do it properly. Remember when you weight train, you're compressing everything. So decompressing is very important. So how do we decompress? I'll give you an example, yoga inversion table. You can buy an inversion table off of Amazon for like a hundred, $120. It lasts you for a lifetime. And you can use that every day, especially after a weight training session would be beautiful because it decompresses and stretches everything. Yoga. Very, very important to do yoga. There's yoga. You can go and it's free yoga. You just pay like a little donation. If you don't want to pay the money to go to yoga classes, just do that once or twice a week and it'll make a huge difference. Then learn from those yoga classes and start doing them at home. Foam rollers, something I do every day. I do yoga every day before bed. Okay, and I'll go to yoga classes as well, which is beautiful. But if I can't go to yoga classes, I'll do yoga at home for five or 10 minutes at least before bed, do some stretching. So stretching is very important in any professional league. The guys who are flexible and mobile get injured less. They have longer careers there. They basically they'll get it. You'll see them on TV, get a get rolled up on and they'll be like, ah, they'll be grimacing. And then the the announcer be like, oh, my gosh, this looks like a serious injury. We probably won't see him for a while. And then the second half comes and he jogs back on the field. Like, what the hell happened? But another guy, he's like running and he doesn't even get touched. And he falls to the ground. He's grimacing in pain. They're like, oh, yeah. The next day, like, oh, yeah, he tore his ACL. He's gone for the year. What? What happened there? Well, one guy was mobile and one guy was flexible and the other guy wasn't. So the mobility and flexibility will keep you healthier. What happens when you weight train? You become less mobile and less flexible. So you have to. You do maintenance on your body and get more mobile and more flexible as you go along. Nobody wants to do it. It's considered being a pussy. Yoga is like a pussy thing. Stretching is a pussy thing. But look, it's maintenance, okay? It's just like getting a car and not getting getting maintenance on your car. It's the same thing. It's going to break down eventually. So, Mobster,
1: final thoughts on that and then take us to this. Yeah, so a, a great example here, guys, and Steve just mentioned pro players. Let me give you a good example, and I used to see this for many years with uh, English soccer players, right, so these days they tend to do a lot more weightlifting and supportive type exercises. But back in the day, and I think specifically of the 70s here, Steve, you see guys like Pelé and George Best running down a pitch like the Clappers as fast as they can go, and then obviously someone comes in to tackle them, but they were so great they'd avoid the tackle, but they were – stop on what we used to say, stop on a sixpence, turn left, run round this fellow, and then running down the pitch again in control of the ball. The problem was, because they weren't weightlifting, because we didn't do the kind of rehab and exercises that we do now and have strength and conditioning coaches for all levels of these kind of teams, their joint would be fantastically strong in one plane of movement, one direction. And this happens to us as well. So what they used to happen, you see a lot of hamstring and quad tears and glute strains and we still see this because, again, in American football, like Steve says, you've got someone who's 300 pounds running towards you from the side. We see it in rugby. You're running down the pitch. You've got control of the ball. Someone hits you from the side. They're going to tear that knee right up. Now, what we do in this day and age is we have strength and conditioning coaches who tell us to train the opposing muscles. Now, in the gym, this is what sometimes happens. Bodybuilding is not always healthy per se for the body. So sometimes you need to do what we call rehab or support exercises. And in strongman, as an example again, Steve, we have one day a week when we would do that for two. If we have a four-hour session, because strongman sessions tend to be quite long, uh, back in the day again, two hours. where well, that would be literally the ancillary or support exercises to make sure that the power that we wanted, for example, in overhead pressing, was supported by a shoulder work, was supported by a tricep work, grip work, and so on and so forth. So he wasn't just strong pushing that weight overhead, it was strong if the weight was unwieldy, if it was a sack, if it was a barrel full of water and so on and so forth, where your strength side to side or back to front would be rubbish, but your strength straight up and down would be great. So this is the stuff that we do sometimes in bodybuilding, you young guys especially, you need to set aside half an hour once a week to do exercises to support the joint. And I'm thinking, for example, Steve, rotator cuffs type work just for shoulder pressing and lateral work, etc., for your shoulders. Rotator cuff works all the little muscles underneath. The same thing applies to doing certain exercises for your elbows and forearm exercises, hamstring exercises, specific kinds of stretching, specific kinds of massaging. These are the kind of things you need to be aware of, guys. And again, change exercises if something's really, really hurting. Look at bone broth, look at good nutrition, and make sure you get tip top, a really, really good joint support product to aid, with the reduction of inflammation and recovery from any potential injuries and, of course, injury prevention, which is much, much better than injury recovery. Please note, we are not doctors and the opinions are ours. It's our view. It's based on our experience and views on the topic. A podcast for informational purposes and entertainment only, the freedom of speech and the First Amendment applies.